0: It's so good to be with you today and I appreciate the invitation that uh, Pastor John extended to me to come and and be with you this morning. It's a special day. Beautiful weather. We didn't think spring was going to come this year, did we? It was slow in getting here, but uh, it's beautiful. I'm so glad to be here with you at the Nazarene Church. I am a Wesleyan pastor, but that's pretty doggone close to Nazarene, right? Thank you for allowing me to come and speak. This morning, we're going to be in the book of Revelation. So if you will take your Bibles and turn to the very last book of the Bible, we're going to be in Revelation 3 this morning, and we're going to be talking about the church of Laodicea. And this is a familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of you, and this is the church that was known to be lukewarm, and I promise I'm not going to beat you up from the pulpit today. There are some wonderful, wonderful things that we have to learn in this chapter, and I'm excited to share those with you. But I'm going to get, I'm going to uh, kind of tell you my age a little bit. I'm going to see how far back you remember. How many of you remember back to the 70s, the I Found It campaign? Do y'all remember that one, the evangelism campaign, I Found It? Does anybody remember that one? No? All right, have we just... Is our mind, are we getting that bad in our minds that we forget now? Okay. All right. What about um, in the 80s? That became more the evangelism explosion. Remember that one? Okay. Okay. So I got some yeses. Good. (laughs) Over the years, we've heard all of these different evangelism campaigns. Each one reach one change the world, make a difference, impact your culture for Jesus. And we've all heard similar things. There have been programs throughout the years that are designed to help us with evangelism and sharing our faith. And it still is a scary thing for us, isn't it? We're afraid sometimes. Even as pastors, we're afraid at times. We're in situations where... It's uncomfortable. We're not sure how people are going to respond. We don't want to blow it. We don't want to ruin this opportunity. What if we say the wrong thing and they never come to Christ? These are the things that go through our minds. And I don't think I'm alone in thinking that. There's many of us that think that. And we wonder, how can we do these things? How can we evangelize? How can we share our faith? And even the disciples asked the same question. We're not alone in that. They wondered as well, how do we do this? And they asked Jesus. And they trusted in God's power and his grace to give them what they needed to be able to share the gospel effectively. And we have that same grace and power that God imparts to us so that we can do this. Let's begin. Let's turn to Revelation 3. We're going to start reading in verse 14. If you'll read this with me, to the, church, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you were lukewarm... Neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Or the King James would say, I will sup with him and he with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord Jesus, will you anoint the reading of your word today. And help me to rightly divide the word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So what happened in this Laodicean church that created such chastisement? That they were called out for being lukewarm? What did they do to elicit this kind of response? And so what I'm going to begin doing today is I want to set this scene up for you about what it meant to be hot or cold because it's a little different from what many of us have grown up hearing, hearing taught in Sunday school, and it has a little different connotation. And I want to explain this to you so you get a better understanding of this passage. Now, Asia Minor, which is where these churches are located, is known for its springs, uh, especially in the cities of Heropolis and Colossae, and they were located in what's now western Turkey. Now, we want to start out with Heropolis. This is where the hot water springs were located. Oh, my goodness. Who doesn't love a good hot tub? Oh, right? This city housed these very hot springs that were known for their healing properties, soothing those aching, sore muscles. And when you had been traveling on these long, difficult journeys, it was wonderful to be able to ...to sit here in these warm springs and let them soothe your body. Uh, People would travel for miles to this particular area just for these springs. Now, as a little historical note there, the man that sat by the pool of Bethesda... ...if you remember that story in John about the man who had waited by the pool... ...waiting for someone to lift him, he was lame, and put him in those waters. That was located near this area... So that kind of gives you a little bit of context there. And he was there waiting for someone to put him in those waters because it was believed that they had healing properties and it would heal you of all of your ailments that you had. Um, And then another thing about Heropolis, now this is important to know. If you look back at the history and the, the things that have been written outside of Scripture historically, we find that the evangelist Philip came to Heropolis from Bethesda. Bethesda was a little small rural community and he traveled to this rather larger city, Heropolis, to bring the gospel message to them. Now, they had a city gate, and if you can picture this, they were named. These city gates, the entryway into this busy, busy city, they were named for either the gods or goddesses, that they served at the time, or the emperor of that city. And so by walking through that city gate, you were pledging your allegiance to the god or goddesses, which were pagan in in this instance, or you were pledging your obedience to the emperor. And history shows us that Philip and his family did neither of those. He refused to enter that city through the gate because he was not going to pledge allegiance to these false gods. So Philip went around the city gates, entered by another way, and went there determined to share the gospel message and to spread the message of Jesus Christ. And he was willing to die for that message. And history tells us that he did. He did die for doing that. Now, on the other side of the city, opposite of it, was Colossae. And it was known for icy, icy, cold springs. And I mean invigorating springs. And this is where Paul had written to the Colossians. Now, this city was a little less notable than Laodicea. It was small, and this was really the only thing it had going for it were these icy, cold springs. And so people, again, would travel to this city for that life-giving, invigorating water. Now, to help you understand, how many of you, just raise your hand, are familiar with the polar bear plunge? You've heard of that, seen it on TV. How many of you, like me, think these people are crazy? Yes, right, okay. This is the icy cold water that we're referring to. It was like that. Now, the polar bear plunge is set up. People do that to raise money for charities, and that's a good thing. And then, uh, as a side note, my husband and I just came back from the beach. And we don't get to go very often. And so when he goes, no matter what the weather, he's going to get in the ocean because he said, I can't waste a trip to the beach without getting in the ocean. So I'm going to tell you, last week, it was pretty stinking cold in that water. I could barely put my toes in, but he said, oh, I've got to go in the ocean. And so he very slowly (laughs) went out there and came out much faster than he went in. (laughs) And his words were, that was invigorating. And I was thinking, not the word I had in my mind for it, but okay. Um, But this is the kind of water that these springs were in Colossae. And if you had been traveling by foot for miles and you were thirsty and hot and tired, these were the waters that you wanted. You wanted that drink of icy cold water. Now Laodicea, the church that John is writing to in this passage, was nestled right in between these two cities. And it had absolutely no water source at all. So it depended entirely... On the hot water from Heropolis. And the cold water from Colossae. And they built aqueducts. And the water would come from both cities. And it would flow into Laodicea. Now as it came through these aqueducts. These were filled with very heavy minerals. Which transferred into the water. And the water ended up having this very chalky substance. And literally made people very very sick. So... Uh, they had water to do other things with, to wash, but they weren't able to drink it very well without getting sick. This is what John is referring to when he uh, writes this letter. And these are the words of Jesus that, I would rather you be hot or cold, uh, but you're lukewarm. And what has happened is this church in Laodicea, as it's gotten this water from Heropolis and Colossae, Both places have lost their remarkable properties when it got to them. So now we have a problem. And this is what we're referring to when we read this, is that we need to know our culture. Now, in this passage we just read... John speaks from a knowledge of the culture of Laodicea He's referred to the water They're very familiar with this They understand what lukewarm water means And they understand why that's important But also what we need to know is Laodicea was a large banking center It served as the banking center for the province of Asia Minor And it manufactured prize cloth from beautiful glossy wool That came from the black sheep there they also were known for having a medical school in that area. Of course, that would be very different from what we know as a medical school. But they produced this very expensive ISAF that was sold throughout the known world at that time. And John says to these people, you say I'm rich. You think you have everything that you need. You have wealth. You have riches. You have access to things that you can sell for great wealth. But he says, you are wretched, poor, and blind. And he's saying to this beautiful city that you have a wealthy banking center, but you are poor. You are blind in a city that produces eye salve. And you are naked in a place that produces fine garments. He knew what was culturally relevant to them. And so I want to ask you today as a church, do you know what is culturally relevant to your community? Do you know with confidence what the people in your neighborhood, and your community, in Rock Hill, what their greatest needs are. And yes, we tend to say, Jesus, they just need Jesus. And yes, they do. But we cannot shirk our responsibility to meet their needs in order to more effectively share this gospel message of Jesus with them. So I encourage you as a church... To get to know your community in a deeper way. What do they need? To a city that seems to have everything. We've got shopping. We've got restaurants. We have resources. But we are a city without God. There are people all around you that you work with. And in this neighborhood that are lost. And they are going to hell without having heard the message. So I want to challenge you to know your community, know your culture, and use that knowledge to more effectively share the gospel. And we're going to talk about how do we do that because that was the first question I asked. We've always heard these phrases about sharing the gospel, but yet we still walk away going, I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be effective in my community. When we read this passage Where Jesus said, I would rather you be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. Haven't most of us grown up hearing, I would rather you be sold out for Christ or not at all. Just either before me or against me. Does that sound like a heavenly father, a God that loves us to say, I would rather you not be for me and just go to hell? No. That's not what he meant by this context. And he's not saying, I'd rather you be for or against me. He's saying, as Christians, I need you to maintain the properties of this life giving water so that you can come to someone and say, I have the life giving water of Jesus that brings healing and restoration. And I give it to you. Or to say, I have the life-giving water that's invigorating, that brings new life, that will restore you. And I give it to you. That is the context that John is speaking to the Laodicean church. And because they've lost this ability to have the, the, um, to carry the properties of this life-giving water... They're not doing either one. And they're not ministering to who God has placed in their community. So what does that look like for us? Let me just give you an example. I don't know what your community needs. I haven't done research on Rock Hill. But it means if there's a need in your community for food, if there are people in this community that don't know where their next meal is coming from, then can we not in some way offer meals to the hungry? And while we do that, Offer them the bread of life? Does it mean if you have young adults in your community that maybe they didn't get what they needed in school, they don't know how to prepare to get a job, to handle their finances, they don't know how to do this, they need someone to come alongside them and teach them, can we not do that in some way as a church and offer them a Savior who is their provider and sustainer and introduce them to that Savior? These are just ideas. You know what will work in your community, but I challenge you and encourage you to do that because we as Christians are the only ones that carry the life-giving water of Jesus. And we cannot shirk that responsibility. People need a touch of Jesus through you when was the last time that we took the time necessary to comfort someone with the love of Jesus when was the last time you one on one went to someone who was depressed who's struggling with anxiety who has lost a job, who doesn't know how to support their family, and gone to them and spoken truth into their life. That's something that each one of us can do. And you think, oh, what if they turn against me? What what if they don't want to be my friend anymore? What if I'm too opinionated? You know what? You have nothing to lose by sharing the gospel and they have everything to gain everything to gain when was the last time that you went to a person and said I have the life giving water of Jesus and I give it to you today when the church stopped doing this They died. May it never be said of us that we stopped doing this, that we stopped carrying the gospel to everyone around us. Philip, I referred to earlier, he did not claim loyalty to the emperor nor to the gods that they worshipped. Philip was passionate about the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ And he believed that by sharing that, it would change that area of the world. And it did. And if we know anything about Jesus and his word, we know that it's true for today. We can change our community and our neighborhood with the gospel of Jesus because Jesus Christ is the same. Say it with me. Yesterday today and forever he does not change God wants us to have this commitment that Philip did of carrying this gospel to a broken world this what I'm about to say is going to be what helps us learn how to do that you've been waiting for that weren't you you were waiting for how to you want the easy button we want to press the easy button We're going to find it right here in this passage. Verses 19 and 20. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. How many of us remember growing up, I do. You remember in your Sunday school rooms? There was usually a picture somewhere on one of the walls of Jesus standing by a door. Remember that? The beautiful garden. And he's standing there knocking. And your Sunday school teacher said, This is Jesus wanting to knock on your heart's door. And you have to open your door of your heart and let him in. I'm going to challenge your thinking on that a little bit today. This passage was written not to unbelievers but to believers. And we forget that. And yes, Jesus does want us to open the door to our hearts and he does want to come in. But that's not what this verse is about. Why would Jesus stand and knock at a believer's door? What's he waiting on? Why is he waiting for us to open it? I want you to understand... Back in the first century churches, during this time period, the Greek language is very specific about their meal times. Just like we are, especially here in the South, we got breakfast, lunch, and supper. And you better be home for supper when your mama calls, right? (laughs) Breakfast, lunch, supper. And those words are very distinct. We know when somebody says, meet me at lunch, we know that's the noon meal. We know what that means. The Greek language is, is similar in that they have very distinct words for their breakfast, their noon meal, and their evening meal. The breakfasts of this time period usually consisted of dry bread that they would dip in wine, eat and run, kind of like our Pop-Tarts now, grab it and go. Okay, Their noon meal, typically people didn't come back home for that. They ate out um, in the common area. They ate where they were working, by the side of the road, out in the fields, whatever they were doing. They took it with them And they ate it there. Now, the evening meal, and this is the word that's used in the original Greek. When Jesus says, I will come and eat with you and you with me or sup with you. The Greek word there meant the evening meal. And the evening meal was a very, very special time. As a culture, sadly, we have gotten away from that. But this was the meal Where we would linger. Everyone came together. We sat at the table. And we lingered. We had conversation. We talked to one another. This is where you learn the heart. Of the people that were closest to you. And I'm telling you. Brothers and sisters. This is the key. To learning how to reach your world. And your community for Jesus is having that lingering time with him. And we have gotten so accustomed to getting our fast food version of Jesus. We listen to it on the road. We, and these are not bad things, but we grab it and go. We do our quick daily bread devotional that takes like two minutes, and we say a quick prayer, and we're done for the day. But Jesus rebuked the church for not allowing him to come in and linger. When was the last time we lingered with Jesus? We tend to want to graze. We want to graze over the gospel. We want to do it quick and just go. And he says, I want you to sit with me. I want you to linger I want you to know my heart, open the door, let me in. I will commune with you and you with me. And what we fail to do is spend that time with Jesus that he's asking. And we try to do all of these plans. We set them out and we try to do them without truly listening to what God has asked us to do. We want to grab it and go. But what I want to say, my challenge for you today is to know that the latest studies, the latest helps, the latest whatever that's at the Christian bookstore that we're all wanting to use because it worked at one church so it'll work at ours, those things are good. I'm not not negating that. They're good in their own purposes. But they are not, I want you to hear me, they are not replacements. For lingering with the Savior. We cannot take a prepackaged plan. And substitute that for our time with Jesus. That looks different from all of us. Your lingering may look very different from your lingering. But he asks us to linger. Not only as individuals. But he was speaking to a church, a body of believers. Open the door, and I will come in and I will share that evening meal with you. I will be in your presence. You will be in my presence. We will commune, and I will teach you everything you need to know. So, my challenge for you today as a church rise above mediocrity, be bold, be brave. And do not be lukewarm. Do not lose those properties that are hot and cold water, that are life-giving, that God has blessed us with. Do not be careless with that. Be determined and linger with the Savior, where he will give you the power and the boldness and the authority to do what he's asked you to do. Let us pray together in closing. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church, for these people, for their pastor, their shepherd. And God, I just pray that as they leave this place, that in the days ahead, Lord, that your spirit will speak to them, that you will convict them of the importance of lingering with you Help us all in that to be willing to rest in your presence, to hear what you have to teach us, and to give this life-giving water to everyone with whom we come in contact. Would you bless this church, continue to bless their ministry in this community, and we'll thank you and praise you in advance for the work that you will do in and through them. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.